and welcome to another episode of Meanwhile in an Abandoned Warehouse. My name's Owen Kelly, and I'm here today with Sophie Hope and Dr. Stephen Pritchard. Stephen, perhaps you could just introduce yourself for a bit. Hi. Hi, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm um, Stephen Pritchard, and I'm a, a, a community artist, an academic, a writer, and an activist, I think. Um, and, yeah. Uh, that's me. Okay, thank you. Well, we're here today because last week the Cultural Cities Inquiry report was published, Enriching mm. UK Cities Through Smart Investment in Culture. Mm. And I know Stephen wrote a few remarks about this on Twitter, mm. amongst other places. And uh, Sophie and I have both read it too, and we were discussing it briefly yesterday. So, Stephen, what were your initial reactions to the report when you saw it? Um, I think for me, um, obviously, I've, I, I, I look at these sorts of reports as soon as they come out. I'm really interested in this as, from a research perspective and from a practice practical perspective. And I think that what, it, what struck me was um, that this, the language on the one hand and the way that the, the report, the inquiry was was uh, formulated and delivered was that of um, that of bit of the business world of process diagrams um, and uh, neoliberal uh, language, strongly neoliberal language. So for me, it was an example um, of uh, and also looking at the board, the board that were um, behind the inquiry, and I found it to be um, uh, like very deeply problematic um, in terms of the makeup of the board and the language that was used. Sophie, do you have anything you want to add to that? Um, yeah, I, give, I agree, Stephen. The language, um, I mean, it, it's... Uh, and the people behind it very much... Um, it's a, it felt like, uh, reading it, a sign of the times. Um, most mm. things you read to do with the arts are in this language now. So it kind of wasn't surprising. Mm-hmm. It felt like um, that the uh, the underlying um, assumption is that we've given up all hope of of local authorities um, ever having funding ever again, or public you know public sector funding being a thing of the past. That's kind of almost, mm. almost like the assumption from the get go. So the neoliberal um, mm. approach to how how we deal with the kind of post. Um, welfare state <laughs> version of society was yeah, fully embraced in this report I felt, which was obviously really depressing reading and I felt mm. like I'd lost the, live, the will to live halfway through <laughs> Yeah There's a particular and interesting view of culture in it as far as I could see a, a, not a view that's new to this report, but a view that's uh, quite clearly expressed here and I thought one of the best things about it was it, it was very McLuhan-esque because yeah. it wasn't a report you could actually sit down and read. It was, from the very beginning, it was designed as a sort of uh, multi-approach document and every page has a different and interesting design. And when you get beyond the advisory board, you get to the table of recommendations. And the table of recommendations, mm. there's eight of them, and they come with four dinky little icons, leadership, investment, talent, and place. And of the eight recommendations, 
One, two, three, four. Five of them are about investment. One of them's mm. about leadership. One of them's about talent. And one of them's about place. And then you, you move on from that to the purpose of the inquiry, which is neatly now in two columns with a, a bright red pull-out quote underneath a pink set of quotes. Mm. And, and so it goes on like this till we get the executive summary, which again has icons for leadership, investment, talent and place. And then an overview of recommendations, which is a large multicolored flowcharty thing in 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 quite an extraordinary color palette really and I, I, mm. I kept going through it like following that the next page is another one with little boxes tied to leadership investment talent and place then a purple page and I by this point and then we get on to recommendation one which is as Stephen was saying earlier some kind of flow chart business plan effect but we're now on page 13 and there's not yet been a page which in an old-fashioned sense you might actually sit down and read Uh and nor is there one as far as I could see till one gets to the very end where you get the Mm. list of sources this seems to me to be an interesting example in the very structure of the report of the form in which it takes and the form in which the argument is, is mm. posed. Sophie? Yes. I just had another thought, which is, it's, it's titled An Inquiry, and is it really an inquiry? It doesn't seem like this is written or designed as an investigation or a, um, an attempt at trying to unpack some problems. It's more like, this is, this is a plan and everyone should follow it. Who were in, who were living? Who were kind of the mm. important people in big cities? It's the kind of a, well, it's full of recommendations. It doesn't it doesn't do the kind of inquiry bit? I don't think, unless that's another document that I've missed. <laughs> mm. uh, I think. I mean, for me, I I first came across this uh, inquiry um, uh, last year. Um, towards the end of last year, when I was um, uh, working with the Northeast Cultural Partnership, which is basically a, a, um, a gathering of the seven regional authorities of various forms who have agreed a cultural, a sort of cultural partnership across the northeast. And <clears throat> after I'd, I had done a, um, a, a talk, a presentation to to all those assembled. There was then um, a talk by a lady who who claimed to be representing the um, cultural city cities inquiry, um, because Newcastle are one of the ten core cities, um, and Sunderland being another one of the I can't remember what you call them, but it's up there's a peripheral level as well. Key cities. Um, and yeah, key cities. Yeah. So so they'd invited along someone to talk about uh, uh, this cultural cities inquiry. And it turned out that it was someone from Virgin Money, and the 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 the, the fact of the, the fact of the matter is is not only is the uh, inquiry led by um, the the CEO or then CEO of Virgin Money, um, that all of the team who did the inquiry are affected were seconded by uh, to the to the inquiry by Virgin Money. And therefore, they are basically, and she made no bones about it, she's basically a banker. 
and the bankers who wrote this report and they made no apologies for the language uh, that was used um, and so therefore you can't really blame the bankers for being seconded you have to wonder about who, why did the Arts Council and others who are, are officially sort of a major partner in this project why, 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 why did people from within the arts and cultural sector feel it was okay for this inquiry to be um, uh, delivered uh, by, by bankers from Virgin Money uh, a bank which up until recently at least until its recent acquisition did not pay any taxes in the UK why what, what what's that about um and i think for me that that's that's where this sort of struck and if you look at the language it, it it's it's talking about capitalizing and, and you know and, and on existing cultures within cities and sort of making them into some sort of it's literally commodifying culture and it's an attempt to mine culture from what i can see mine existing cultures and pop in some new cultural sort of assets with the with the claim that this will somehow make a wealthy city, and as we all know, that type of that type of approach, which which parodies or par sorry paraphrases um, Charles Landry's Creative City on the one hand, Richard Florida's Creative Class on the other, is a model which ultimately leads to gentrification and it leads to pr pressure upon those those most poor in society to to, uh, to to be displaced and dispossessed by this sort of investment in culture which isn't investing in culture for working class people it's investing in a middle class culture yeah Sophie yeah I um, absolutely um, the the one I was going to ask you as well on that was the bit on place. You know, the section on place, the multiple sections on place that repeat the same thing. They yeah. do really bad. Kind of nod towards <laughs> the problems with. They don't say gentrification, but they basically mean that, don't they? Um, that uh, this mm -hmm. is one of the kind of side effects or, or impacts of, of um, going about things in the way they're describing. Um, and so one of their. Mm. Uh, it seems kind of like responses to that is to focus on public ownership of uh, assets in the cities so in terms of building ownership um, and then it um, mm. it gives some examples but do you have a what's Stephen what's your take on that because I I'm, I'm um, they mentioned some examples of studio buildings and again these a lot of these assets are benefiting um, I'd say sort of the, the prof you know professional artists who are going to be but, you know, creating a return on this investment that the whole, the whole project is relying on. Um, but what's your, yeah, what did you think about when you read, read mm. that, those sections about place and ownership, public ownership? I think, for me, it was clear that, you know, that it, it sort of claims, it was making claims about community-owned assets as if, and collective, collectives behind these sort of studios and the examples that they give basically a are not community owned and b are not collectively owned either they might be a community interest company in some instances but they are not community owned they are not they are not um democratic they are a, a a form of um of business effectively right um and therefore to make these claims is 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 about this being the way forward for place it, it 
is a, a very limited uh, position and also the examples that they give um, are studio providers who basically it's, it's, it's well known have often um, themselves profited from um, uh, empty, empty spaces, meanwhile spaces and contributed significantly gentrification um, and you know and, and the, 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 the publication of the of the um, uh, creative land trusts just like the day late, day after um, in London r report just solidifies this which is basically a case of oh yes artist studios is the way forward protect artist studios and, and, and make claims that are unfounded and for me th this is positioning if you look at the language around the way that they, they talk about place this is about this is about place as a form of a, of a form of resource rather than a, rather than something for communities for existing people and for people outside of the arts and I think that this this is a really really dangerous model I mean basically as I say for me <clears throat> using the, the the example of how it talks about place um, is is very much a is very much aligned to creative the creative cities and cultural uh, creative class models, which is get the artist studios in, you know, make make over overblown claims about the fact that they are um, con connected and, and they are they're, they're benefiting the community when really they're not the benefit in the artistic community and the benefit in businesses, right? We need to be clear about that. And actually, they often can indirectly contribute, as in the case of Boyle Heights, for example, where you have sixty artist studios in there and galleries, and and all that's happened is is basically forced rent prices through the roof and it's in danger of displacing an entire community of um, Latin, Latin American, mainly Latin American uh, people who've been there for a very long time. And the model's repeated all over the world. What this is, is just another, this is basically for me a case that, to be honest, that the Virgin Money have come along uh, with the, the, the arts and the other people who are involved here, the likes of people from Urban Splash and develop, property developers who are on the board of the inquiry and gone, okay, what we need to do is, what, <laughs> what we need to do is build, um, a, a, is mimic sort of a creative city approach, a culture, a, a, a creative class approach in all of the, in 10 cities, 20 cities across the UK. And suddenly, lo and behold, we'll have a, a system where everyone's happy and it's going to, and, and the world will be a, a wealthier and happier place. But it won't. It won't, because the model's been shown everywhere, whether it's Bilbao, Hamburg, wherever you, London, wherever you want, Boyle Heights, it's, it's been shown to um, displace people and threaten people who are those most vulnerable in society. And this report does nothing at all to answer or even acknowledge right, social housing or the problems. Really, it skirts the issue, as you say, Sophie, it skirts around gentrification. At one point, I think it actually... Dutch mentioned gentrification, but it's done in such a way as, oh well, that's just the way it goes, you know. And and that for me is problematic. And I think for me, this report has on 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 one page there, it's got it's it's the piece about the purpose of the inquiry, um, which is on page six. And there's a nice little quote which I'd like to read by Charles Landry, the inventor of creative cities back in the day. Great places harness their potential, energy, and creativity, and they draw on their cultural resources. These are the raw materials of the city and its value base. Its assets replacing coal, steel, or settled industrial patterns. 
Creativity is the method of exploiting these resources and helping them to grow. The task of city makers is to recognise, manage and exploit these responsibly. That is from Mr Landry and that for me underpins the report. This idea of the idea that a cultural city can replace an industrial city. That, 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 that these things are interchangeable that well the, the you know the industry's gone in comes cultural creative di digital enterprises and I think it's a really really dangerous uh, dangerous dangerous position to be in I'd go further than that though Stephen I, I, I mean I, I understand mm -hmm. exactly what you're saying there but I think they're not even saying that if we go back to page 5 of the table of recommendations which I was talking about earlier mm -hmm. So it's divided into leadership, investment, talent and place. And I noticed earlier that investment gets five out of the eight recommendations. But mm -hmm. the one I'd focus on at this point is the one labelled talent, which is recommendation mm -hmm. seven. And this mm -hmm. is the recommendation in its entirety. Seven, diversity targets and talent pathways. Cultural organisations to set diversity targets for leadership and boards and publish progress. City compacts to support citywide plans for development of creative talent pathways. Now it seems to me that that's a view of how society works based upon what somebody has learned from watching X Factor. The role of the talent in this is a, is a language form that has been brought over from a particular line of show business thinking and not even traditional show business thinking, not even traditional musical thinking, but traditional show business thinking where management has gained the upper hand and we're now looking to see what we need to do with the talent. And the idea that cities have a cultural pool that is somehow objective and can be managed or at, or at best it's fluid like a stream which can be dammed and diverted simply seems to yeah. me to lay bare a very mechanistic view of how culture happens and a very managerial view about how culture can be provoked into happening and it seems mm. to me that there are no examples that I can think of that you can point to where culture arises in that way. Sophie, were talking about this, Sophie and I were talking about this yesterday and I was bringing up examples like uh, Rough Trade from the 80s or Eric's. Mm -hmm. Groups, organisations, events, shops, whatever, that arose spontaneously without being more than one or two or three people's enthusiasms and became mm. cultural focal points because from that perspective culture grows organically and Eric's met a need in Liverpool and Pro Plus met the same sort of need as Rough Trade in Liverpool and Rough Trade met a need in, in West London mm. and it opened at the right time and it hit the time when there were people with the independent cassette boom wanting to find places to place their music. And the mm. two meshed 
there was synergy and a cultural movement was born. But that's not something mm -hmm. managers can wish into action or will into action. And mm -hmm. there's no way, I mean, yes, I'm totally in favor of diversity, obviously, I hope. Mm. But that doesn't mean that you can persuade people to have ideas in a, in a representatively diverse way. People will have ideas and they will form parts of cultural streams or they won't. And they won't be managed in this way and they won't be designated as talent. Mm. Mm. And so it seems to me... I'm fine. If, it, if this is bankers making a report, then I th wish they just added a line at the start for that, because I think if one knows that, this is a very honest and useful contribution to a wider debate. But if it's seen as mm. the wider debate, then we're mm -hmm. fucked. Yeah, and I think it's clear that they are... That, you know, that it, was re it was launched at the Royal Society of the Arts... If you looked at the, the, the those the, those from the board that they chose to to talk about it, along with it being present introduced by Nick Sirota, Sir Nick Sirota, just look how many dames, MBEs, and everybody else who's on the board, right? It, this is this is a, a board of the establishment, and most importantly, the ones that they chose uh, to sit on the stage and deliver, uh, introduce the report, the inquiry, were all white, not all male, but all white. And 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 I think that if if you I think that for me the idea of of leadership I mean you know I'm a trained and I, I'm I'm slightly ashamed to say this but for many years I'm I'm a trained manager and a, a business a management scientist so I'm well aware of this sort of language and have been since I was a little like since I was a teenager and um, this is what makes my blood boil right and this is one of the things that that for me, makes the critique so obvious, like, like, because I see in this what I saw and what I was indoctrinated into as a youth, and, and I spent a part of my life um, delivering. The idea, but not in the arts, and the idea that, that, as you say, talent or diversity can be brought in by basically a load of privileged white people, right, who can then say, oh, we need to be more diverse. Well, I'm sorry, but if you look at all the statistics of most of the arts and cultural organisations, they're anything but diverse. That's not just the management, that's most of the staff. They fail on the diversity targets. Today, the Arts Council, as we speak, are just having a discussion around creative place, uh, case. How can we deal with diversity in the arts, says a lot of white people. Um, this is the problem that we have. It's a, Culturally, it's a, a deep seated problem and along and then when that aligns as you say on with a, a, a sort of corporate financial mentality a banker's mentality um then what you're left with is their step-by-step -step guide to basically uh, trying to to construct something which as you say needs to cannot happen and can only arise from a grass from from the from the grassroots up and I think that the, the, for me, it's the subtext here is that this is about positioning uh, people, uh, councils, other arts organisations, existing arts organisations in these 10 core cities, in these key cities, right, to, to come together as a compact with very little money. The, the government proudly announced £110,000 for these contracts, con compacts. That's for all of them. It's less than 10 grand each. So they're supposed to come together and then deliver in their own areas, basically 
reproduce this establishment model uh, which will in itself reproduce um, existing local hierarchies and strengthen them and they will decide it's the anti basically it's the antithesis of cultural democracy this is a top-down approach that they now want to roll out as some sort of blue blueprint a toolkit a model uh, around the UK as, a, as if it's some sort of salva economic salvation to the poor northern cities who've lost all their industry and to be honest with you it's it, for me it's a joke I'd also raise the question about where we think this fits in our view of culture. Yeah. And, uh, where does this sit alongside, for example, the... I mean, I was talking about rough trade, and, and, and that was... We could uh -huh. pretty well say that's from the 80s. But where does this sit alongside no, cool. the recent uh, Farago about AM and Skengdo and their attempted 1.0 drill track and when they were mm. they were the police were preventing them from performing that track on the basis that the track was an incitement to violence but not any specific mm. violence just in general possibly an incitement to violence because of who mm. they were and because of who they associated with so they themselves mm -hmm. have no criminal record, they themselves have not no. even been accused of any crime, but the fact that they associate with people who have a criminal record, and the fact that they have published, uh, produced a, a song that reflects on the situation in which they find themselves in, and arguably provokes the situation in which they find themselves in. This, mm -hmm. Where does this, in your view, fit as culture alongside the stuff the talent is producing. So the sort of grime movement and the, these examples, like you, the, the grime scene, you mean? Um, I mean, for me, you know, I would say that um, the grime scene's a great thing. And um, and the idea that it's been, well, it's in danger of being recuperated. It's been, it's, it has been, and it remains in danger of being recuperated by by the establishment. I think, um, and I think, I think that uh, it's the opposite. You could, the grime, the grime scene just started in people's bedrooms and little clubs and pubs and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And and it rises from a from a very similar way to rough trade on the one hand for me even that whilst I was a manager I also spent most of my money putting on raves and DIY free festivals and stuff that was what that was my trade off for for this money that I made through for my capitalist sins and um and and so you know I'm aware and, and for that scene it, problematic as it was and in the end it was appropriated it became something that was a big money spin out of the rave scene right but when we started out it was free and it was all about the right reasons and about the earth and all sorts of stuff and i think that it has to happen from a from a, a grassroots perspective otherwise there's no way basically that these sorts of things any of these things not nothing that the arts council does nothing that any form of establishment uh, institution can do anywhere in the world, not just in this country, can somehow usher in something like the grime scene or something like the punk scene or the rave scene or whatever else. Um, and this is the problem that, that, that it's a form of constructivist, it's a constructivist um, approach to culture which says we know what's best, 
we'll see what is acceptable and what's not. And yeah, you can do your grime music, really love it. But if you start to talk a bit violently or swear, then we, you know, that's not acceptable. That's that's no good. And and so it creates this sort of it's a, it's a constant watering down and filtering um, position. And for me, I think my my main position on this comes from the perspective of. Um, of the psycho psychoanalyst Donald Winnicott regarding creativity and and for me I'm interested in playing and 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 potential spaces and they come together through relationships which are relationships that happen in the moment so as you say this is the sort of thing that might well have happened in the case of rough trade or with raves you people come together and go okay yeah we can do this let's get on and, and creativity happens and all sorts of mayhem along with it and that's all great the minute compliance comes into it or control, it, 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 Winnicott says that com, um, compliance kills creativity. And for me, that's what, when I often talk in my, my lectures and my work at the moment around what I see here, this is another example of this inquiry of what I would call uncreative creativity. And it becomes, it's, it's not really creative at all, it's the opposite. It's about, it's about models and blueprints and, and textbook approaches rather than this fluid, relational, organic, natural, crazy, anarchic thing. Do you know what I mean? And as soon as anyone gets their talents, it, of course the system's view is always to chase whatever the, 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 the dangerous is and, 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 and civ or, the, or the uncivilized in their eyes and civilize it. And in so doing, it kills the movement. And there's, there's a much darker political aspect of, to, to that that whole game um, which is of course to subdue the populace through the through through sort of killing their cultures right our cultures um, and making them into something like you say you know you know he has a grime artist on the X Factor singing about some you know happy childhood you know what I mean and suddenly the grime scene is killed and you know and this is this is this is great for them isn't it you know and, and and that for me that for me is what what I see within this is there a um danger of romanticizing the anarchic um underground aspect of culture in in a way that perhaps the you know the developers and mm -hmm. and um virgin money types <laughs> almost do in order to recuperate it and capitalize on it I'm wondering if there's also um a question around you know how how a, how somebody or a collective or a group of people kind of making and doing without permission and in a um in a kind of underground sense non-professional sense how they might also want to try and um hmm. become more professional like there's like what is the route for people to kind of be to to um to make a living out of the thing that they, you know, want to be experimenting with and playing with and 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 um, and experiencing, um, and I don't know. I, I'm wondering what those sorts of rocky roads are and those different pathways, and that, um, and also as a connected to that, that what the role of uh, the state or tax is in this story, because tax is mentioned quite a lot in the report. Um, and I felt that I, I needed to understand a bit more about what they meant, what all the deep, because yeah. I'm not a tax <laughs> expert, but like what all the 
um, the ramifications of that were when you have a almost it felt like quite a, an absurd um, story that was being told where you have on the one hand um, the demise of public funding and local authority um, funding for culture and creativity whatever that is um, mm-hmm. and on the other hand um, a program of tax um, incentives and benefits for not benefits what I think the idea is that they'll through this they'll reduce the amount of tax people have to pay <laughs> but I wasn't sure if that's really this like there's tax tax um, incentives for the organ for art these kind of official arts organizations and also potentially for the investors who invest in this sort of thing and I was like that's completely bonkers <laughs> you're saying there's not enough public funding but we're also this program is actually going to reduce public funding even more. I was like, "What is? Go- I, I need somebody to explain the the, the, the rationale behind this." <laughs> Stephen, please, can you explain it? <laughs> yeah, this this is this is part of why, why we, this is part of what I term the neo neoliberalisation of the arts. It literally is. It it's, it's mirrors what's happening in other uh, parts of our uh, society, which is basically to rep- to replace. Uh, public funding uh, on the one hand and to clamp down as we were just talking about on radical anarchic DIY movements on the other and recuperate them as quickly as possible um, it's, to, it's, so it's, it's, to, it's to take this public system of, of, of supporting um, people from the arts which is imperfect but nonetheless it's to replace that save money, introduce voluntarism and that voluntarism happens at the level of compacts, as I said there's £110,000 for the local uh, councils to implement this, between the whole lot of them so it's nothing, and what they're expected to do is to come together to form these new alliances, to save money, to work out new ways of delivering their version of culture right, to, to a small proportion of their population, and then trying to sell that as something for everyone but at the, whilst at the same time enabling them to make further cuts um, and replace it, most importantly, with philanthropy, with corp, with with corporate sponsorship, with investment, we do, it's the language again. It's this language of investment. Yet at the same time, the arts organisations, the cultural institutions that are um, that play this game, get the carrot of oh, you can actually have tax, you can save taxes for many small arts and, and cultural organisations and collectives they won't be eligible for these tax breaks anyway because effectively most and many and it also assumes the it also assumes the institutional level here whether that's that's tax breaks for institutions what about all the, what about all the what about all the freelancers right the majority of this workforce the, the majority of us right um, are not necessarily institutions we don't benefit from this these tax breaks. We we don't benefit the institutions do, and so it's this it's this constant. It's it's basically reproducing neoliberalism, which is tax cuts for the rich, right? Cuts to services, cultural services, or whatever they may be, for 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 everybody else. And in the middle, artists are squeezed, as you well know, as we all know, right? Uh, 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 who are uh, we, we, we're constantly offered less money we're encouraged through things like fund palaces to effectively work for nothing the, you know and it's this <clears throat> and, and to go back to your point about making a living Sophie I think that 
that makes it really difficult to make a living. I mean, who are we talking about here? Are we talking about the, 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 the people who work for arts organisations and institute, cultural institutions who have um, a, a, jo- a contract of employment, um, who, have, who have 28 or 30 days holiday a year and a pension scheme, a paid sick leave? Mm-hmm. Or are we talking about, are we, t- are we talking about uh, artists? Or are we talking about people <laughs> who come along, audiences and participants within the cultural sector? They don't... They don't make a living from this. How do we make a living? And I mean, you know, the problem, of course, for me as a Marxist is that this comes down to the, the problem of the artist becoming an artist at the point of cap- when capitalism began um, with the division of labour. And suddenly people who were, everyone was creative and there were many artisans, you know, the idea that Michelangelo was an artist, etc., is nothing more than a historicism. Do you know what I mean? In real terms, he in his day he wasn't classed as an artist, and it's this it's this division which then says, okay, now we're artists, we want to do this in this field. How are we going to make a living? And to come right back to the beginning, as Owen pointed out, they say in this inquiry and every other report, you have to make a living the way we tell you. Right? You play our games if you want to make a living from arts and culture in this country. You play our way. You take what we offer you and you do what we say. And if you don't, no money, no work. And if you speak out too much, well, you know, that's not, that's not the way this game works. And, and so there's a stick and a carrot approach which just mimics basic capitalist management school techniques. Mm-hmm. One thing I think I'd say here is that I think we ought to look, not necessarily now because it's another conversation, but we ought to look at what we could posit as alternative Mm. infrastructures for producing culture. Because I completely agree with what you just said there, Stephen. And I think that the answer to this has to lie in more autonomous, Mm -hmm. unfunded activity even if that means in the short term people Uh don't in quote marks make a living at it perhaps we should come back perhaps we should meet up again and have another conversation about how we might move this forward because one of the things I'm always aware of is we end up or we can end up quite easily just sounding like disgruntled opposition and I I think that it's much more important Mm -hmm. for us to start developing a positive vision of how we could achieve something that isn't based Mm -hmm. around fostering talent down diverse pathways or whatever Mm -hmm. but is based around an organic Mm -hmm. model of culture and cultural democracy Mm, yeah definitely Let's come back and talk about that then, shall we?